The scripture reading for the message comes from the gospel according to Matthew, fifth chapter, starting with the first verse. That is the gospel according to Matthew, fifth chapter, starting with the first verse, and we are going to go to verse 12. Hear ye the word of the Lord. And seeing the multitudes, he went upon a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. You may have your seats. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the role and the reward. The role and the reward. Uh, something that I've been studying uh, pretty recently about in, in, in uh, growing in this thing we call Christianity. Something that I've been looking at is the kingdom of God. Uh, I understand that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. We uh, as Christians often want to talk about Jesus, but what Jesus talked about was the kingdom. And so I've uh, over the past couple years in my studies, been trying to learn more about the kingdom of God and uh, something that I've learned about the kingdom of God is that it does not operate like the kingdom of man now that being said there are some things I would like to see the kingdom of God operate like the kingdom of man or maybe just some things I would like to see church folk act more about than uh, secular folk uh, sometimes the way we handle business <laughs> you know, when you are, uh, for example, trying to put up a gospel play versus a regular play, I understand that they don't necessarily uh, plan things the same way. Uh, when we handle business, when we communicate, uh, there are things in the business world and there are things in the secular world that I think we could stand to bring over here, but we won't because it's a church. Uh, you know, when you start bringing up words like product and marketing and business plan in the church, people get a little tight. They get a little uncomfortable when you start talking about those things. But for lack of a better term, a church is a business and a church needs to take care of business. I mean, we take money in, we send money out. We have responsibilities that we have to keep track of just like a business. So there are some things that I feel like the church could stand to learn from the world 
just as much as the world could stand to learn from the church. And then there are things that we don't necessarily understand because we don't necessarily understand the kingdom. Uh, theologian Miles Monroe said that we as Americans have a problem trying to understand how a kingdom works because we've never lived under a king or a queen. We don't understand how those things work. And there are things that we are allowed to say about our president that we would not be allowed to say about a king. And so we sort of lose that sort of reverence and respect for those things because we weren't necessarily raised around it. That being said, though, there are some things that Jesus lays out for us about how the kingdom is supposed to operate, how life is supposed to work for us as we believe in Jesus, contrary to popular belief. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, We are to understand the customs, but we are still supposed to keep our own customs intact and have our own understanding of home because that is where we are trying to get back to home. It's kind of like when you go to a particular part of town and they will name that part of town Chinatown. You are in an American city, but when you go to Chinatown, you are going to see Chinese customs, the language of the street signs and the restaurants and everything that operates. You are going to be reminded of home. Same thing when you go to a little Italy. Same thing when you go to a little Mexico. Any, any of these areas of town, they maintain their identity. They do not lose their identity. And even if they get lose their identity in school, when you get around home, you still are reminded about how you are supposed to act. This is one of the five great discourses uh, given in the gospel according to Matthew by Jesus. Uh, there are, there's the missionary discourse that Jesus gives in uh, Matthew chapter 10 and that's some instructions he's provided to the disciples and then there's the what they call the parabolic discourse which is in Matthew 13 which is parables where he compares the kingdom of heaven to certain things where he says the kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of heaven is like that and he talks in parables then there's the discourse of the church in Matthew 18 talks about how the church is supposed to be run in the future what's supposed to happen and what the apostles are supposed to do in order to effectively run the church as they go on and then there's what they call the Olivet Discourse which is a discussion of end times what's going to happen towards the end but the most popular discourse that they have in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount Uh, in this particular passage of scripture which is a part of the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon on the Mount covers Matthew's chapter 5 through 7 but this part they call the Beatitudes it's another word for blessings and it means more than just uh, uh, a happy state uh, or, 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 a, or an emotion I, I'm, it's funny there's a popular song out by uh, I believe it's Big Shine and Drake where they say in the hook I'm way up I feel blessed and, and that's not necessarily the type of blessing that they're talking about it's more than a feeling it's a state it's something that you constantly operate in 
It's spiritual well-being when you say that you're blessed, when you're talking about it in the Bible. It's, 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 uh, it's a destiny. It's knowing where you are and whose you are and who you are in Christ. It's having the approval of God. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He shall be a tree planted by the river that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever they do shall prosper I like that it says planted going back to this blessed state staying in blessed see the difference between a potted plant and a plant that's in the ground is that a potted plant has to depend upon somebody else to give it its water a potted plant has to depend on somebody else to bring it its food but a tree that is planted by the river can reach out and get the nutrients for itself. And that's how we ought to be when it comes to God. We ought to be able to de develop a relationship in ourselves so that our blessings, we don't need a pastor to lather us up. We don't need to hear our favorite song. We ought to be able to be planted and grab our own nutrients when we need it for sustainment. Because sometimes the pastor may not be there. One of my favorite songs, it talks about Jesus and he says the preacher had his Bible closed. You had to be able to go on and get it for yourself. Be planted. Blessing is a state. It's a continual state. It's a being. It's not just how you feel today. It's not just a, something you put on a t-shirt. Too blessed to be stressed. I'm blessed and highly favored in the Lord. All of those things may be true. But when we talk about blessings, when we talk about being blessed, it's more than just speaking well. It's a state. And that state comes from work. It does not come overnight. We don't just wake up in the morning and there it is. We have to continually work towards our relationship with God. We have to be blessed. And this is not anything new. When Jesus was saying it, he wasn't saying anything new. They would understand that there's roles and there's rewards. There are conditions that need to be met and there are things you need to do to, in order to make those conditions. If you look in the Bible, anytime you see a miracle performed... There are instructions that need to be followed. Whether it be dip your toe in the pool, whether it be bring me some water, whether it be bring some oil, whether it be pour out some water on the fire and wood to see if it lights. There are instructions that need to be followed. Anytime there's a miracle that happens, there are instructions. You have to do something and guess what? You get out of it what you put into it. Often we look at the Beatitudes and other passages for scripture for that matter and we look for some sort of metaphysical or deep extra spiritual meaning but sometimes it's plain as day. Sometimes it's real plain. Sometimes it's if you do good, you get good and if you do bad, you get bad. Sometimes it's very plain, it's very reactionary, it's very what you got, what you got out of it, exactly what you put into it. You can't overeat all the time and then ask for God to remove your fat. You can't spend all your money and then ask for a breakthrough. You can't treat people evil and then ask God, why don't I have any friends? Sorry, let me move on in. I'm getting tight in here. 
<laughs> These are declarative statements in the Beatitudes and people often look at them for the deep super spiritual meaning, but sometimes it's something different. It says that God blesses them that are poor in spirit. God blesses those who realize their need for him. And not just material poor, but spiritually poor. You may or may not have money in your pocket, but you need Jesus, whether you have money in your pocket or whether you don't have money in your pocket. You may have the best car that you want, but if your soul is poor, You have to understand that those that are poor in spirit and realize it. These are those who are poor in spirit and realize it. They realize that they need Jesus. They realize that they are but filthy rags without him. They realize that they are sinners lost and, and, and that God's grace covers them. The unmerited favor, the gift from God that they don't deserve. That's the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who are desperate need for cry and cry out, Jesus, I need you. I can't live without you. I want you. I desire you in my innermost being. That is the poor in spirit. And they realize it. And because they realize it, the kingdom of heaven is going to be given to them. Their role is being poor in spirit and realizing that they are without Jesus. And they're given Jesus by giving the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. God blesses those who mourn, says that they will be comforted. And it's not just those who grieve in a loss. When it talks about those who grieve, it's the context in the Greek also indicates that it's those who are mourning over the sin that they see in the world. The evil that they see in the world, the, the, the failure of mankind, the bad things that they see. And they are giving proper glory to God. You mourn. When you see certain things, I'm always weary of those who are able to see someone else suffer and not care about it. I'm leery of those that can go by people suffering and not even, you may not be able to do something for them. You may not be able to, but if you, you can't at least empathize with them. If you can walk by them like you don't see them, if you can walk by somebody suffering and don't see them, there's a problem with that. I remember getting into a spirited discussion with one of my, my line brothers, actually, who is actually also a pastor, and we were talking about something that was just evil. They had changed some of the laws and basically made it illegal to give a homeless person a sandwich in Houston. You're saying it's illegal to give somebody who is hungry food. That is evil. That is evil. You... But you want men to go in women's restrooms. Evil. So when it talks about those who mourn, it's not just those who are experiencing loss, but it's those who can see the evil in their heart hurts about it. They say that we as Christians ought to have a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other and be praying for the ills of the world being in the world but not of the world we ought to be able to mourn that it should hurt and you should want to do something about it that's what it says when it says blessed are those who mourn they're mourning over sin but not just the sin of others 
<laughs> our own sins. Are we able to just dismiss our own sins like there's nothing going on? Like we are not separating ourselves from God like we are all of that. We are to be able to mourn our own sins. See, <laughs> when, it, when, when the Bible says to repent, repent is not just asking for forgiveness. Repent is not just saying, I'm sorry, God. It actually means to turn around. In the Greek, it means to turn around. And not only that, it's more of a psychological term. So you should be able to change the way you think about it. If you still think about it the same, there's something that needs to be changed. But those who mourn will be comforted. They will be comforted like David was writing Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. They will be comforted so they mourn. Bible says, bless those who are meek, gentle and lowly, some, de- some translations say. And it says that God blesses the gentle and the lowly. To be meek is to restrain one's privilege for the sake of others. I'm going to say that again. To be meek is to restrain one's privilege for the sake of others. I've had to learn that a lot. There are things you can be capable of doing, but you put to the side for the benefit of others. I would argue that every parent knows what it means to be meek. Everyone that's ever had to take care of children, even if you weren't a parent, if you were in a child's life, when that child is around, the child is first. They want no part of the world's trapping for power. It's not just an understanding. It's, an under, it's, it's, it's not just an attitude when it's talking about being meek, but it's an understanding of the people and their place in the world and the people of God who have been oppressed looking for deliverance. You restrain your privilege just because you have made it. You need now need to reach back for those who haven't made it. What good is it for you to make it if you can't reach back and help another one? I hope you don't think you made it on your own. I, I had an interesting conversation uh, at a men's retreat I preached at last week. And uh, I was reminded of a joke that, that uh, Chris Rock said. And he talked about those who marched in the 70s, talking about how rough they had it. And he said that those who marched in the 50s look at those who marched in the 70s like, y'all got it good. I had an experience of that sitting at a table with someone whose father was a slave. I had to hear stories from him and learn about this whole uh, 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 keeping the lights off during the war because if you kept the lights on, they were worried about the, 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 the Japanese coming to bomb you during the war. Had to learn about that from, from, from his wisdom and learning stories about some of the things that happened. And I thought that... Other people had it rough, but I can't imagine a life like that where the police come into your house and try to rape your sisters. I can't imagine a life like that, dealing with racism and getting beat up on a regular basis because he grew up in the 20s. So I had no idea what it was like. And so I understand that I stand here today on the backs of people like him who struggled and fought and took the beatings so that I could go to school. So I have to, if, if don't nobody else understand it, for me, I didn't make it on my own. I made it for those who were meek, 
who sacrifice themselves for the place of others. I'm standing upon their backs. And I'll have to, because of I'm standing upon their backs, I have to understand that there will come a time where I will have to stand over and let somebody stand on my back so that we can keep moving forward. Amen. The meek restraining your privilege so that one can help the others. The Bible says, but the meek shall inherit the earth. And inheriting the earth is the fulfillment of a promise. Uh, Romans 4 and 13 says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What, what promise is that, Pastor? Well, if you would, go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and you'll see the promise there. Uh, it, it says in Genesis 12 and 1 and 3, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, this was before he had his name changed to Abraham. He's Abram right now. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will bless you and make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in your families of the earth shall be blessed. Now let's back up just a little bit. I know I've been talking kind of fast, but here it is again. I know I said sometime at the beginning of the sermon, anytime there are supposed to be some miracles, there are some instructions. So I hear some instructions in this first verse where he tells him to get out of his country, to get out of his father's house to a land that I will show you. That's an instruction, right? He's telling them what to do, right? Uh, I'm, I'm just checking. His, that's an instruction. He's telling them, and then the, he says that he will make him a great nation and make his name great, and he shall be a blessing. So that's the blessing, right? That state, that thing that he's supposed to do, not just be happy, but then he says that I will bless those and curse, bless you and curse those who curse you and all the families. And you and all the families and all the earth shall be blessed. So not only does he get blessed, but he passes it down. All right there. The promise. The meek inheriting the earth. Those who put their status down so that others can advance and then help those out. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There it is. Says bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses those who seek after justice. It should bother you to see certain things and you should want to do something about it. But here it clearly says that if you do something about it, God will bless you. Those who seek to that all is right in the world. I, one of my professors, it's funny when I'm at school because I listen to my professors and I don't realize who they are because you know, they're my professors. And then when I go read a completely separate book that had nothing else to do with them and I see these books quoting my professors, I tend to learn that they might have done something with their lives. They might be somebody worth listening to, but it's kind of funny to me. But I took a class with this person and he's referenced in many books, but never did he ever mention those books. Meek. But Theodore Walker said that the liberation struggle is inevitable because people will never get used to being oppressed. We ought not be used to being oppressed. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should hunger and thirst for what is right in the world. 
until justice rolls down like waters. There's a reason why so many pastors have been at the forefront of some of these civil rights struggles because you cannot read this Bible and sit still about how people are being treated. You cannot have a right relationship with Christ. I said it time and time again, you can't be a Christian in community. The second part of being a Christian in community is once you get in the community, you start finding out what's going on in the community. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness and be merciful. God blesses those who are merciful. Again, not just the attitude, but merciful are those who are eager to aid all in need. Matter of fact, in the Greek, the word that's used for mercy is not anything to do with emotion. Matter of fact, the definition is a concrete action, a definite action. So in order to be merciful, you must show mercy. Not just in what you say, but what you do. I can say I love something all the time, but if my actions don't show it. And not only just regular actions, but concrete actions. God blesses those who are merciful. Then it goes on to say that God blesses those who are pure in heart. Again, not an attitude. Matter of fact, a better definition for the word when they say pure in heart actually means undivided. When they say pure is someone who single-handedly pursues the will of God. And it's not just avoiding certain thoughts. It's not just not going to the movies or not listening to certain kind of music. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's undivided. I remember someone saying, I don't care how smart you are, you can't think about two things at the same time. Undivided. Your heart is not focused on other things. They say that you can tell who someone's God is by looking at their checkbook. You can tell who someone's God is by looking at their calendar. What do they sacrifice their time for? What do they sacrifice their talents for? What do they sacrifice their treasures for? Is it divided? I'm not saying not to take care of your needs. We all got bills. But what is your focus? The Bible says in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing that I do... Forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward for those things which are ahead. I like how it says one thing, not two things, not five things, not let me give you this three point plan, three points in a poem. One thing, one thing, those that are pure in heart, they will see God. And it's not some mystical vision, not some metaphysical experience, not some some great emotional experience. No, it says they will actually see God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, for I know in part, but then I shall know just also as I am known. And in Revelation 22 and 4 it says, they shall see his face. 
and their name shall be peace. Their name shall be on their foreheads. The Bible goes on to say God blesses the peacemakers. Those who work for peace, even if it's against their own personal best interests. Again, what are you focusing on? What is your priority? Are you working on the things of God or are you working on the things of yourself? They shall be called the children of God. Then it goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I've learned over time not to get mad when I had haters. I've learned over time not to get mad about people who want to say things about me because that means I'm doing something. I remember playing on the football team and I I recalled I, I took sort of a bit of pride in the fact that the coach would yell at me when I messed up because there were some people that messed up and nothing happened to them. The coach would yell at me because they thought I could do better. They gave me that sort of attention, and that's the way I look at it in these times when I got haters. I understand it's not necessarily the haters' fault. They might have started off on the right foot and not done what they needed to do, and so they looked at what you had to do and got angry. So they're not necessarily angry at me per se, They're angry at themselves. And so I gladly take on this persecution if I'm doing what's right. I'm not going to take on persecution if I'm doing what's wrong because that's not persecution. That's consequences for my mistakes. But if I'm out here doing the work of Jesus, if I'm out here doing what Jesus has me to do, I have to understand if they would talk about Jesus... If they would talk bad about any of the prophets, then who am I to think that I am above some sort of criticism? I am but filthy rags out here trying to do what's right by Jesus, the blessed potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords, my lily in the valley, my bright morning star. If they would crucify him, what's the little words to me? So I press on towards the mark of the high calling. I keep putting my one foot in front of the other, understanding that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's how I press forward, because I can press forward, because Jesus did not quit. They did not quit. He did not quit when they beat him. He did not quit when they talked about him. He did not quit on the way to Calvary. He did not quit on the cross. He did not quit in the grave. And thank God he didn't quit in the grave. But early, three days later, he got up with all power in his hand. And he still didn't quit. That's not where the story ends. He didn't quit because he's coming back again. So whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the door of the church are open and we invite you to come.